Good morning, everyone. My name is Brad Isaac. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Prodigal Church. And today we are in week two of our Fierce Sermon series, where each Sunday morning we get together and we hear one of the Bible's stories that centers on a different woman of courage and love. So if you were here in, uh, with us last week, Pastor John kicked us off with the epic story of Esther. It was great. We had the kids in here. We had noisemakers. We were booing. If you missed out on that, you're going to want to check it out on our church's YouTube page. But this morning, we are confronted by an exceptionally moving account of Jesus at a dinner party found in Luke chapter 7. That's Luke chapter 7 if you want to go ahead and pull that up. But before we get there, I want to get our sort of creative juices flowing. And so I want to lay before you a scenario. Imagine this with me. Imagine a coworker invites you to a party. Okay, a coworker invites you to a party. So you clock out and you do your part. You swing by Target, you pick up a tasteful gift, a gift bag, even remember the tissue paper that goes in it, and you show up at the listed address on Google Maps 15 minutes late, so right on time. And as you approach the house, you notice the door is sort of open, and so you let yourself in. You go in and immediately begin scanning the room for your friend. Sure enough, there she is, mingling with others, making introductions, shaking hands, laughing. And you're trying to make eye contact with her, waiting for her to come over and bring you in to the festivities. And some time passes. When you look around the room, you see everybody else seems to have a red cup with their Sharpie name on it, but no drink has been offered to you. So you sheepishly go over, you make yourself a drink, and when it comes time to eat, everyone else seems to know where to sit. They all sit down, and you sort of pull up a chair to the corner of the table. Okay, how are you feeling in that moment? How are you feeling being neglected, rejected by your friend, the host? Depending on our personality, some of us might be feeling awkward, disappointed, a little lonely, maybe angry. Now, however you're feeling in that moment, in this situation, Hold on to that feeling, stow it away, because it'll help us later on. See, uh, if we jump into Luke chapter 7, we find Jesus where he so often is, seated at the table in the middle of a party. Jesus has been traveling around doing the truly remarkable things that Jesus so often does. That means uh, proclaiming good news to the down and out. It means healing people of what ails them. And so he's beginning to develop this following. He's a somewhat controversial figure, but the people love him, and so he's getting popular. And as he comes into this little village, there's a man named Simon there who is a prominent uh, religious person. He's a Pharisee. Everybody knows a Simon. Simon is the sort of guy who's well-off, well-respected, uh, a person in the community who's well-connected, the sort of person your parents might have once tried to set you up with. And Simon is throwing this massive block party as Jesus comes into town, something that everyone in the zip code, anyone who's anyone, is invited to. So here comes this vagabond teacher, Jesus, who's a celebrity, and so Simon says, all right, I've got to have him at my party. He wants a packed house. He wants the Instagram pictures to reflect, oh, this was the biggest thing happening this weekend. And so as we imaginatively enter into the room, we find Simon at the center of the party, at the center of a table, presiding over the affairs of the evening. He's got his champagne glass in front of him, waiting for everyone to toast his good name. 
And see, well, parties back in the day were these big, lavish affairs that lots of good people like yourselves would be invited to. You would just have to know when you showed up, not everyone gets a spot at the table. No, the table was this sort of socially roped off arena where the truly powerful and well-respected men could rub shoulders with one another, could talk about the intellectual movements of the day and politics, and where everyone else could stand around eating and drinking, having a good time, but really the real conversation happens at the table. This is where we find Simon and Jesus sitting at table in the middle of a party. Now, meanwhile, Luke, the author of the story, tells us that there's another quite different character off to the side in Purview of the room. If here's the table where Jesus and Simon are, she's somewhere way back here, off in the shadows, ignored among the crowds at the corners of the room. In fact, Luke doesn't even tell her us her name. She goes unnamed. He only introduces her to us as a woman of the city, a sinful woman. And you'd have to understand, these are very thinly veiled, ancient ways of saying, this is a lady with a notorious and promiscuous sexual history. Perhaps even a lady of the night, we might say today. She's not here because she's overly fond of her neighbors. We don't know what her story is that brings her to this point in her life. All we know is this. She's there to get closer to Jesus. She's heard the stories of who he is and what he's about, and she says, I need to get closer to this man. He's different. So she weighs the pros and cons of exposing herself to this social situation with all the people that uh, she knows from her town. She knows who's going to be there. And she knows how they make her feel. Unwanted, marginalized, stigmatized, accustomed to being used and rejected by the people in this room. But she comes anyways. And Luke tells us that she's not coming empty-handed. No, she's clutching one of her prized possessions. It's this very expensive perfume. A perfume that perhaps she once bought meaning to use it as a tool of her seductive trade. It's the best thing she has, and so she brings it with her as a gift for one as worthy as Jesus. Can you see her? Can you imagine this woman off in the shadows? Here she stands, all the men in the room looking at her with knowing glances, objectifying her, looking her up and down, women shooting her dirty looks from across the room. Here she stands far from the table, but in a moment of bravery and desperation, Luke tells us that she begins to close the space between herself and the table, step by step, crossing social barrier after social barrier. She wants to get to Jesus. And as she comes, before she knows what's come over her, she breaks down and weeping falls to her knees. Tells us that her hot tears actually strike Jesus' feet who's sitting there at the table. And in the mess of the moment, she doesn't know what to do. She breaks open the perfume jar and anoints Jesus with it, douses it, him with this expensive perfume that's now filling the whole room. And then she thinks to herself, I didn't bring a towel. So in the mess of the moment, she lets down her own hair, something no decent woman would do in public, and begins to use it to wipe 
Jesus' feet. Here we find an entirely undignified act, the unanticipated meeting of sinner and savior. Now everyone else in the room is completely aghast. All the conversations have died down in seconds. The mariachi band stops playing as they see what's happening. The room goes completely silent. The only sound that's left are the sobs of a prostitute. And the whole crowd is wondering, why does Jesus not pull back? What in the world is this guy doing to allow this to continue? See, what they didn't know is that when you invite Jesus over, you should really be careful. Be careful to invite Jesus into the comfortable spaces of your life because he's known to bring strange plus ones with him. You invite Jesus over, you have to know he's always going to bring a plus one. Just imagine in this moment, if Jesus sitting at table were to pull away from her or push her away, she'd be all alone, utterly shamed of all the walks of shame that she must have endured in her life and profession, this would have been the very worst. But Jesus doesn't recoil. Jesus doesn't draw back. He's receiving her gesture, taking it all in, the perfume filling the room. And in so doing, Jesus is vouching for her place here with his own honor. Now, no one is more confused than the good, respectable, religious host, Simon. He's disgusted. At the woman's advance, every uh, muscle in his body tenses up to their accustomed mode of exclusion. He's looking at the woman, judging her, and not content to just judge her. The Bible tells us that he also dismisses Jesus' status, thinking to himself, some prophet this guy is, some guy who people say has insight into the deeper things of life, he can't even tell it's a dirty prostitute touching him. He rejects Jesus. His entire evening now is in jeopardy. And in a fascinating detail of the story, the Bible tells us that Jesus, sitting there at table next to Simon, answers Simon's internal dialogue. He answers Simon's thought. So that at just the moment where Simon's saying, Jesus, you can't even see what's the exterior and obvious, Jesus says, no, Simon, I can see into the interior and hidden things too. I can see into your own heart and mind. And whether we attribute that to a sort of knowing intuition of Jesus or something more, whatever the case, uh, Jesus says to Simon, Simon, I've got something uh, to say to you. And Simon now, recovering his hosting manner, says, oh, Rabbi, do tell. Jesus says, Simon, riddle me this. Okay, there are two men. They go out and they get loans, both of them from the same lender. One gets a $500 loan, the other $5,000. While the allotted repayment period comes to a close, the bills come in, neither of them can repay their debts, but the banker chooses to forgive both of them, wipes the slate clean. Who, Simon, of the two men, will love the lender more? And Simon gives the very obvious answer. Simon says, well, I suppose the one who is forgiven more. And Jesus applauds him. He says, yes, Simon, you've answered rightly. And then catch this. With all the love and compassion of God in Jesus' face, he looks down at the woman at his feet. The woman who everyone else in the crowd is scorning and casting their judgment upon. Jesus looks down at her, locks eyes with her, but then he asks Simon a question. He says, Simon, do you 
see this woman. Notice how Jesus has turned the tables on Simon. Simon has said, Jesus, you can't even tell what kind of woman that is. Now Jesus flips the question and says, no, Simon, I don't know what your perspective is like from the head of this table. Because from my vantage point, I'm seeing someone much different than who you're seeing. Simon, do you see this woman? And only now, as Jesus renders his verdict on the evening, does Luke hit us with the dramatic detail that would have been shocking in its time. These are going to be the words of Jesus. They're up on the screen. He said to Simon, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss of greeting as I entered. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Okay, now remember back to your feeling of being rejected at this hypothetical party, of being overlooked. It turns out it's not just the woman who was overlooked that day. Jesus, too, was neglected and overlooked by his host. Your position of being neglected, feeling lonely, would not have been unfamiliar to Jesus. He put himself into that position. He entered into our experience of loneliness and rejection. And so at this point, what Jesus is doing is he puts Simon on blast in front of all of his guests. And he says, Simon, I came to your house tonight and you didn't give me the three most basic gestures of hospitality, things that I could have gotten at any other reputable table in the land. Simon, you're so caught up in judging the woman that you didn't even take the time to fulfill your own duties. In a deeply ironic turn of events, Jesus demonstrates that the supposedly honorable host, Simon, has failed miserably in his role, while the unwelcome guest has shown true hospitality. Jesus rebukes the religious man's indifference and praises the sinful woman's extravagant love. Why? Well, because just like the more indebted man in the parable loved more, so too now, Jesus is saying, this woman whose past has been painful, who suffered under the weight of her many sins, her many sins, Jesus says. That is what has enabled her to show the greater love this night. And so Jesus looks at her, asks her to rise to her feet, and sends her away, telling her that her faith has saved her. She walks home through that crowd that had rejected her in peace. And that's good news for many of us here today. Because some of us uh, were really afraid of this language of sin. Maybe we've had really negative experiences at the hands of religious types. I know that's true for many of us here today. But we don't have to be afraid to recognize our need for forgiveness in the presence of Jesus. Because in fact, when we think that we've only been forgiven a little bit, the Bible says the end game, the best case scenario for you, is you only become a person who knows how to love little. But... When we follow the example of the woman, when we bring out of the shadows the pain of our own pasts, shameful as they may be, devastating as they may be, stories where we have to mention things like addiction, 
and divorce and incarceration and all of these things that have hurt us. When we bring those things out of the darkness and we bring them before Jesus, Jesus sees in those same stories, our stories, the seeds and possibility for great love. It's good news for those of us here today who maybe are surprised to find ourselves at church. Uh, maybe um, we have been resonating with this role of the woman in the story. You're looking for something here today. Let me just say, uh, we here at Prodigal Church, we're thrilled that you're here with us. Welcome. We are excited to have you. We are making a church where we are trying to reflect the love of Jesus. This is a place for you. At the same time, for others of us in the room, what we're wondering, what our pressing question is, is what about everyone else in the room that day? What about the hundreds of other people in that crowded party? What did they do? What was their response to Jesus's argument? Were they convinced by Jesus's merciful appeal or did they leave going home, driving home with the same cloud of judgment as Simon the host had? What about them? And this is interesting. We don't know. The scene fades out. Luke chapter seven becomes Luke chapter eight. The author goes quiet. We don't know how anyone else in the room responded. Why? Not because Luke forgot the conclusion to his own story, but because this is one of those stories in the Bible that is left intentionally open-ended. Because the question and challenge of Jesus was not just for those who reclined at table with him 2,000 years ago, but it's to every one of us who hears this story today. The question and challenge of Jesus are for us. And it goes something like this. As we see others seeking Jesus from their own stories and seasons of complexity and challenges, whose response will we mirror? The exclusion and rejection of Simon or the love and embrace of Jesus? This time I'd like to invite the band to come up. See, in this series, we're trying to let the stories of loving, courageous women speak for themselves. And so our story for the morning is before us. The question and challenge that it poses are sitting here with us. But we were thinking, we're not quite done with the table yet. See, we've heard about Simon's version of the table. A table that symbolizes exclusion, that symbolizes status. But we want to conclude today by observing another table. We want to observe Jesus' table. The table of Jesus where the stranger and sinner come to find peace and salvation, which turns out to be the very same table at which others of us come to find our judgmentalism judged and our pride ultimately humbled. It's the table of Jesus. This is the table that we gather around this morning. In Memoria de Mi, this is from my little Spanish church. The Bible tells us that this is a table for all people, for all nations, for all languages. The table where Jesus is our host. And so uh, we here at Prodigal Church, as we're affirming the leadership and giftedness of women that we see in scripture, we're also affirming that in our own church. So we were thinking, who better to lead us in observing the Lord's table than one of our own women of courage and love from within the church. And so our friend Kelly is gonna help us
This is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. For the forgiveness of sins, this statement Christ made so long ago really resonated with me and my heart while preparing for this week. I wasn't sure if I was the right person to even partake of the Lord's Supper, let alone lead you in it today. You see, I'm far from perfect. I sin. I've done a lot of wrongs in my life. And even now, I still struggle with my faith at times. However, the more I prayed and studied, the more I came to realize that every single one of us has a place at Christ's table. We're all broken, and no one is perfect. Jesus' own very disciples struggled in sin. Even at that Last Supper, his followers and friends there, among those were those who had doubts, denied him, and even betrayed him. Yet they were all welcome at Christ's table, and so are we. It's because coming to the table has nothing to do with our own worthiness and perfection, but his. In just a few moments, we're going to follow the example Christ gave us and come together at Christ's table and take communion to remember Jesus, the love, and the sacrifice that he made for us. On the side aisles, you'll find there are tables with already prepared communion cups for us. After we say a blessing over this communion, we'll rise and each of us will take one back to their seats, partake of the communion while the worship team sings. Let's pray. Dear God, I ask that as each and every one of us partakes in communion today, that our hearts are connected in line with yours. Let us not worry about where we have not measured up, but know where you always have and always will. Let us remember your body and your blood that you shed for us on the cross and the promises that you made that we will come to you afterwards. Lord, please forgive us for all of our sins and be with us, Lord, today. Amen. All things have passed.